following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. It is Minute 33 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how are you this evening? Well, Brad, I, I need to turn on my GPS because I'm not sure right now if I'm in a dungeon on Mongo, if I'm in a dungeon during the Spanish Inquisition while Torquemada sings and dances around me, if I'm chained in a castle while the Knights of the Round Table sing about Camelot, if I'm chained inside El Guapo's prison, or if I'm just in a basement with the Gimp. That's a lot of options. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know where I am right now. Or maybe it's all a dream. Oh, yeah, we'll wake up somewhere and this will be a dream. But I feel like I'm dreaming because we have not one, but two Excellent, excellent guest with us. Uh, first, let's uh, let, let's welcome our new friend from Dark Knight Minute. Who do we have with us today? Oh, my name is Jake, and I and I talk Batman three days a week with my cohorts at the Dark Knight Minute. But I'm happy to hear and talk some Flash. Ah, Gordon. It, it's hard to say <laughs> the title, title without wanting to say the ah in, in between. Also, we have the producer of Flash Gordon Minute, uh, the co-founder of the Cosmic Geppetto podcast, my dear, dear, dear friend, Jarv Harden. Jarv, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. As Brad said, I've been behind the scenes, mixing it up, being your hype man, but this is my first time being on air with y'all, so th- this is going to be a ton of fun. And one of my favorite supporting characters is in this minute, so I'm very excited to talk about that. But I won't get ahead of us. Yes, people, Jarf is real. You've heard us talk about him. He is really here. What? I thought he was imaginary. <laughs> He's our own Snuffleupagus. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like Fight Club that only you guys could actually see him. Oh, God. What if I was Jarf the whole time? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Mine's All are right, right so we're, we're gonna dive right in eric what, what happens in minute 33 uh well we're we're continuing our time in the dungeon with flash and dale and clytus um and the, the 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 big thing that i really noticed here in this minute is and that i don't honestly in all the times i watch this movie you pick up so much when you start watching it minute by minute and i noticed all of the background prisoners that are also in the dungeon here with Flash that I guess I just never really paid attention to. And I'm wondering if there's a pecking order in the dungeon. So so some of them are in a cell, some are strung up against the wall, some are hanging from the wall, some are strung up in the middle like Flash, some are strung up against the wall, but their faces are against the wall. Some have clothes and some don't. There's an old guy who's really out of shape who's just wearing a loincloth in the background. There's the dirty guy who's behind bars. There's an Arborian strung up, so he's got clothes on. There's another guy who's just got a loincloth. So I, I, I'm just I'm fascinated by the pecking order of here of 
who's got it the worst, who's got it the best, how do you, how do they decide who's got clothes, who doesn't get clothes, who faces a wall, who's in a cell? This is just, it's all running through my head. It's whoever looks at Clytus in the face and, and he, you know, if he start, if he act up a problem, he's going to take away your clothes and then he's going to put you in precarious positions. Yeah, it, I guess that's got to be it. Although it seems like Flash, that being the case, Flash should still have a shirt. I mean, you know, obviously he's being sentenced to death, but it doesn't seem like he's that like he he didn't seem like he ticked anybody off that much. You know, instead they gave him the metal head, uh, the the metal helmet, and took a shirt off. It's like, yeah. I don't think he's earned this, uh, you know, which is crazy. He's like, you know, he, he really didn't earn any of this, but you know, that's, that's just where I'm going with it. I want to see the deleted scene where one of the secret police in Clytus's force is wearing the flash Gordon t-shirt that they confiscated. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a, that, like if that were to happen and Clytus found out, it's like, it's a very like Hercules animated movie. And it's like the guy I'm trying to kill, and you're wearing his merchandise. <laughs> but but Clytus, this shirt's just so awesome. It's comfy. Here, touch the fabric. It's so soft. You know I'm a Jets fan. Gosh, you know th- this movie is so. Um, it's a shame when this movie came out and it wasn't a little more popular because there could be so many great Saturday Night Live bits and stuff like that and. Uh, it, it just—it's it, it, so ripe for, and it's sometimes you can't do it with movies like this where it's almost a parody already because the campiness. But they're, they're still because it takes itself so seriously as it should, and that's half of the charm of the movie is it's a ridiculous movie, but everybody plays it straight. Uh, there, there could be great moments like that, and I, I'm surprised. I know Family Guy did one or two um, Flash Gordon riffs. Like there was one where Stewie and Brian went back to World War II Germany and there was like a big dogfight between the American and German planes and then all of a sudden the Hawkman showed up. It feels like there should have been, as much of a fan as McFarlane is of Flash Gordon, there should have been one or two more uh, just spread out over the 20 years that show has been on. Well, they, he does make, you know, God Flash Gordon, basically, as well, where he's out riding the, the rocket cycle. That's a good one. That's right. That's right. He's put in some good ones, you know, the Hawkmen show up and then, you know, God is, is Flash Gordon. I can't argue with that. That sounds right to me. No, it works. It works. And actually, I wasn't familiar with this. But someone that follows us on Twitter shared with me some comedy sketches about Flash Gordon by a British comedy troupe, Big Train. And they, they are really, really good. It, it, he was inspired to share it with us after he heard one of the things that Brad and Eric, you talked about in one of the earliest minutes, way, way back in the early minutes of Flash Gordon where you were musing about other ways that Ming could have amused himself other than wreaking destruction on planets and whatnot, if he just had a hobby. So the troop Big Train followed Ming from the palace back to his flat where he's just checking his answering machine and just going through the, the mundane it, it, it's really good. You just you should check it out. I'll I'll share it in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex for everybody to check out. 
but the person who shared it with me is a is a Judge Dread fan on Twitter, and to give them credit, it's at Dread Universe. We we love when people follow follow us on Twitter. Uh, Jarf has been uh, d- diligently posting, and as of this recording, we just hit four hundred followers. That's right, which uh, which is very exciting. Uh, it's a good number, and uh, we're hoping to keep growing. But yeah, um, it was funny when we called that out, and I, I always get a kick in. It's especially true with bad guys, where bad guys are designed to look cool and be big and larger than life. And I always wonder, it's like, ah, what, what what's their average day like? I, I remember there was a character. He was a bad guy for Hawkeye in the Marvel comics, and he also fought Wolverine once a character named Razor Fist. And his whole thing was, as the name suggests, he's had his hands removed and replaced with two blades. And it's like, um, so when you're not trying to kill an Avenger, what are you doing? The bathroom seems like it'd be a real challenge. And uh, in a different way, same with Ming. It's like, you know, when, when you're wearing the big ceremonial robe, uh, as was called out before, a robe that it, it's hard for him to even walk down steps with, it's like, you know, how, how do you watch – how do you Netflix and chill? <laughs> Netflix and chill with Ming. Just one recommended episode <laughs> title for you. Uh, Dale and Flash, they've been given the, – how, how long did Kaleidos give them? One minute? Uh, actually, he just says till the sands run out. There's no – we don't know what in Mongo meantime what that means. Before we jump into Flash and Dale, there's something at the very top of this minute that – deserves recognition it's Clytus giving the very gift worthy pathetic <laughs> love it love it pathetic love it jake er- eric is a big Clytus fan as we all are such a great voice and uh, we've always been real impressed with the the mask uh, and is able to emote and part of it is just they they have put such great facial expressions on it, it i think giving him the eyebrows was a great idea and uh, having the mouth move and uh, it, having an actor with such a fantastic voice. And uh, yeah, that, that was a great, that, that, that was really great. Uh, a bit of emoting that happened that first minute and just the end. This is following up a minute where Clytus, always a bad guy, seems to enjoy being a bad guy. But in the previous minute or two, he, he had shown a sense of fair play. And I don't want to say likability, but not being quite as much of a you know jerk as Ming, but now he's you know sort of back to being so condescending towards Flash and Dale and basically anyone other than him himself or Ming. Well, I have a theory as to why. I think that this this whole situation and and the budding romance between Flash and Dale it really sets him off because he's got the whole repressed thirstiness for princess aura situation so seeing them really click just it just really makes him mad no no i liked it that's a good theory um now jake this is a good area for you to talk about because you are our toe dark knight (laughs) (laughs) i'm a what now This is new to me. I did not know this. (laughs) Anyway. Have you had to bleep out any cuss words yet? Yeah, we had one guest who, uh, on his podcast, 
he likes to let the R words fly. <laughs> I mean, R rated. I don't know what the R word is. Uh, and I actually once I I and so he he couldn't contain himself on our show. But then I once actually gave Brad uh, advance notice that I was about to curse and then let it fly, so he knew it was coming. So we are using the laser sound effect, the the uh, ray gun sound effect. <laughs> That's what I wanted to ask. We we use a battering. Nice. Oh, that's cool. That's nice. Yeah, and then and then if it gets like really long where it's like a sentence of words, we always it hasn't happened yet, but I'm guessing it will sometime in the future. We always have Rachel <laughs> to um throw out there as well because you know, Flash is in love with Dale, but Batman's in love with Rachel and it's just an awkward situation <laughs> for the both of them. Not Martha? <laughs> I know, wrong Batman, wrong Batman. I, I like that. <laughs> just had to get it in. Batman's got a lot of love interests. He's kind of a man whore. I like that, Eric, <laughs> you gave the advance warning before the swear word. It, it, it well, <laughs> reminds me of the Eagles, Jason Kelsey's famous Super Bowl victory speech, which was profanity-ridden and beautiful. But if you if you watch the speech... There, there's one time where he says the F-bomb, and it seems like it just slipped out, right? Heat of the moment. And this, of course, is broadcast live uh, on the local TV station, so everyone's like, oh, boy, he did it. But after he let the one slip out, you can really see him just wind <laughs> up and give you another one. And that one was definitely premeditated. And that was amazing. Yeah, it was it was where the it was the shot of Ming first entering uh, the Great Hall. And I just it was just too awesome a shot. I couldn't contain myself. So I made sure to give right <laughs> advance notice. Well, what's funny is uh, with Flash Gordon Minute, we're PG-13. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let a little life profanity by. But the, the Mothership show, Cosmic Geppetto, we're, we're, we're G-rated. We we really keep the language very, very clean, and uh, we, we have our own uh, beeper on that to, to bleep anything out. And at one point, we were doing a bit with uh, uh, our wonderful uh, voice of the Cosmic Geppetto podcast, Beth Reynolds, as like where she was supposed to record a bit with profanity. It's like, oh, you know, just say bleep bleep or something like that. And she couldn't sell it if she wasn't actually swearing. So we had to re-record <laughs> it. It's like, no, just, just, just say, it'll be fine. And... <laughs> we got a much better uh, recording from her with that. <laughs> Brad, what back to what you were, what were you actually going to ask? As a Dark Knight aficionado and you familiar with the movies, and those are movies with a lot of masks and trying to make the mask work and emoting. And aside, you have Batman with um, his mask and Christian Bale working very hard to sort of emote through the mask. Um, the Joker, uh, Heath Ledger. Giving his performance through heavy makeup and the facial scars, and then of course you have Bane with pretty much completely losing his face and his ability to do any like facial acting. Um, you know, how do you compare the, the, those characters with Clytus and his ability to emote through like a really heavy, heavy mask? <laughs> well, it goes like this. <laughs> when you got a mask on, you gotta really accentuate your voice because it's that's all you've got, and sometimes it just doesn't work out very well. Well, guys, you just gotta really get to it. You just don't quite know until you give it a fair try. 
boy, did I pick the best, the right minute to jump in. <laughs> Poor Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's excellent, and he, he was really saddled with so many things. It was just like, I, I think it's like, it was kind of like the whole voice. I don't know if it was just like the one that they wanted to get for him. If like Christopher Nolan was like, that's the one. That's the one we're going for. Because like Batman's voice isn't really bad and begins. It kind of progressively gets worse as the voices become a little bit more overacted and overacted. But like in, it's just like Bane's voice was really kind of silly. Like if they had just kind of made it kind of like metallically soundy, but like still had like, you know, Tom Hardy's kind of British accent, you know, kind of like Batman's voice and Batman v Superman, you know, kind of has that little bit of that voice changer effect. I could understand that, but it got a little too weird when he's like accentuates verbs. You think the darkness <laughs> likes you? I was born into it. <laughs> and it just, it just, it just gets a little over top. They're all great movies, but you know, when you're trying to emote emotion, when you have, you know, a metal face, it, it has to come through the voice, but it has to be done in a fashion, not overacted. It needs to be kind of sincere. Cause like when, when, um, Oh, now you're making me think of, um, people's names. Clitus. I almost said clitoris. Oh, it's going to be one of those episodes. Um, Clitus, <laughs> um, you know, says pathetic. Like you really feel like he actually thinks that, you know, flash and Dale are, you know, pathetic. You know, I got to say, Brad, speaking how this is going to be one of those episodes. When you mentioned Clitus a few minutes ago, it sounded like you, you, you slipped there too and almost pronounced it colitis. <laughs> Kaleidoscope? Oh, uh, oh God. All right. So now we're we're back with Flash and Dale, and they have their could it just be a dream moment? And this reminds me very, very much of a scene from a couple years earlier in a different movie. The Clark uh, Superman Lois Lane, can you read my mind speech? Oh, d- oh come on. Oh. Well now oh. you've talked about it. Go over the speech. Yeah. Verbatim. We want it verbatim. If I'm feeling really uh, froggy when we when I add this together, maybe I'll just uh, post a clip from it. From it. And it yeah. The people who haven't seen the original Superman movie, which was excellent, but there was one scene I think is pretty much referred to as the worst part of that first movie where Superman's flying with Lois Lane and it's her first flight and she just has this internal monologue asking Superman if he can read her mind and it's basically an iambic pentameter it's to this it goes to the music but Lois Lane can't sing it's terrible and then it was released as a single but with the actual woman actually singing it and uh it's a little bit like that where if you just replace can you read my mind with could this just be a dream it it is uh, similar i don't know if that's just something that happened in movies of the 70s and 80s where you had to have a dreamy sequence like that a speech like that to show the characters are in love and uh, I, I don't know guys what what are our feelings about the 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 banter in this particular section it, it's a little off cuz like they're trying to be like all emotional but all i hear is just like i dreamed a dream days go by i don't know it just kind of took me a little bit out of it because you know she's kind of like walking around talking about random nonsense and then they start talking about makeup and it just yeah i i don't know it's kind of like you brought up superman and how the scene just kind of doesn't belong there it's you know it's it's a whole martha situation basically for those who've seen Batman v Superman, they know what I'm talking about. 
I've, I focused more on, and by the way, yeah, great movie Superman, horrible scene, the can you read my mind scene. I focus more on Flash's answer when she says, what if it's not a dream? Because Flash says, well, you'll find Zarkov, you'll save the Earth somehow, you'll go home in the capsule. You, you, you have to love Flash's Pollyanna-ish, never-ending optimism. He's going to die. Dale's been made a concubine. Zarkov's going to be brainwashed. Nothing they've done has gone right so far. But he's saying, oh, well, if it's real, you'll, you'll just save the Earth and then leave. No problem. Eric, I agree with you 100%. That optimism of flashes, that is really the heart of what has always made me love this movie. It's, yes, his plan, it's pretty dubious, just even the thought that that rocket of Zarkov's is going to be space-worthy after the crash, I don't really don't know. But just the fact that in this dire situation, he still has hope. Honestly, I find that inspiring. It, it kind of is something that I've carried with me to this day. To give a personal note, I work for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, and we are raising money to cure this really terrible disease that is so hard on the people that live with it, but we've made a lot of progress in treatments that are adding decades to people's lives. And this is a sample of a text exchange I had with one of the moms that I work with. She was wondering if one of her friends is also going to participate in this fundraising walk, Great Strides. And I told her, you know what? I don't know. We're still trying to work that out. But if she can't do it, we'll come up with some other plan because you know me. I never give up. And she responded, and this is one of those texts that just really chokes me up. She said, that's why we're as close as ever to a cure, because of you and everyone at the foundation who never gives up on us. So I think that kind of optimism, it's corny when you look at an old movie, but it can be inspiring. The the, the theme song, you know, he said, no one but the pure at heart can find the golden grail, right? Fits right in. Exactly. That that's my favorite part of the song. Like I love the percussive parts, yes, but that w- when it gets a little quiet and and when it gets you in the feels like that, oh man. Like you said, two things to go along with what you said. I've always liked a quote by Winston Churchill. I am an optimist. It does not seem to be much use being anything else. Cuz if you're a pessimist, life's worse. If you're an optimist, life's great. And you're telling your story about never give up. I just kept playing, you know, Galaxy Quest in my mind. Never give up, never surrender. And I love Galaxy Quest for that. And I've I've reached a point where I I like movies that have good heroes. And again, a little tight. You know, we've entertainment goes through this where they has their anti-hero phase. Uh, You saw it uh, the last decade where Johnny Depp was able to make uh, with the the Pirates of the Caribbean films where he was a, you know, he, he was a likable rogue was supposed to be his thing. And uh, as, as much as we all like, uh, as, as much as many of us like the, the Marvel films and Iron Man and Robert Downey Jr. giving this great performance as Iron Man, he was still a jerk as opposed to like the Captain America in the Marvel films where it's just like a good guy. And, uh, there's something to be said for just like a pure hearted good guy and rooting for him and not feeling like you're rooting for someone 
half-heartedly or rooting for them despite the fact that they're a jerk. And that's Flash really has that. And, uh, you, you know, it, it has been addressed. It's not a good plan that Flash had. His plan is basically find Zarkov, fix every, you know, save the world, and then go back. Because, like, you know what? I feel like you're missing some middle, like, very important midpoints of that plan. <laughs> It it's basically sounds like the same way that we're planning on uh, these podcasts making us millionaires. Is like, start a podcast, question mark, dollar sign. Right. <laughs> that's, that's how it works, right? You, know, you just throw it out in the ether and then it happens. You know, save the world. And, you know, there's, there's nothing else you got to do. You just got to give it, you know, the old college try. Maximum effort right there. <laughs> Maximum effort. <laughs> And, I can and go Jake for a and, chimichanga right now. <laughs> Jake and Brad, I like the call out to Galaxy Quest, and I want to give a shout out to Galaxy Quest Minute. They are doing a great job with that podcast. They, the banter among the hosts is a good match for the sense of humor of the movie. So that's another good one to that I can recommend checking out. So, yeah, it's a good podcast. We're uh, hoping to get a guest spot there at some point. Oh, that, that'd be a great crossover. Back to our own movie here. Uh, one thing that just struck me is while they're having this, this this very intimate conversation, I just noticed Dale's doing a lot of chest hair fondling. It just distracted the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, if you've got it, you know, girls like to play with chest hair. Well, you know, there as as he's hanging there awaiting his doom and as she's been consigned to a life of being Ming's concubine, they're they're still flirting through this. I mean, he says, You look great, Dale, and she says, Oh, that's just the eye makeup. And I saw um a Brian Blessed interview and he talks about this specific exchange that this is one of the reasons why this is such a wonderful film that she's, you know, she's talking about her eye makeup. He's waiting to be executed. And, you know, he says <laughs> that, that that was just perfect. You know, it's that people to hit from his point of view, people said it was camp. But from Brian Blessed's point of view, he said it's comic strip. That's what happens in a comic strip. And that was the perfect style. Yeah, it, it fits perfectly, I would say, because like she, that's kind of like kind of kind of her character as well throughout the movie, you know, a little bit, you know kind of more focus on herself. Now, um, before we get too further, I want you to, to go back and look at the very beginning of this minute. And then we'll, I'll, I'll tie it into the next minute at the, at, in the minute in that showing, because there's something funky going on in Ming's candle with that sand that's in that, um, hourglass in the candle. No, that's in the, the timer that she tries to move. That doesn't move. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got that uh, next. Yeah, if you look at the beginning of this minute, though, the sand's going up. Right. And oh, you look in the next minute. Nice call out. Down. Ooh. I, <laughs> I guess they own, they really run out of budget with all the costumes in this minute and the next minute. Nice work, detective. <laughs> and eye makeup. You know, it's like it's like it's you know, it's like I like notice stuff for like a living. You know, it's like like I do a minute by minute by podcast myself or something. <laughs> My last tidbit about this minute is I just wanted to call out the acting by the soldier that walks out after Clytus because I love how incredibly stiff he is. He wa- he takes a stiff step. He consciously stops and turns right very stiffly, walks through the door stiffly, takes two more stiff steps, turns right very stiffly, 
and walks away. So do you think that was a decision? It's like I'm like thinking of uh, the palace guard or is just a guy who was really uncomfortable in that costume and being on camera. <laughs> I'd like to attribute it to the performance, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> I like to you know go back to you know a little bit of my podcast because um, being in an outfit and being uncomfortable, Christian Bell was not comfy in that bat suit. He and you know at least I, I think these palace guards and the Batman have a very similar issue. You, they can't turn their heads. Yeah, yeah. And and Dark Knight was the the second costume he was able to move his head a little bit because they finally addressed that. But yeah, those those costumes just had to be terrible. I know it's not I know, the, the, the things about movies. It's not always functionality. It's more about looking good. And like, kind of like in Batman Begins, because they kind of base it off like, yeah, he's beginning to be Batman, and then he's like slowly evolving through the the film franchise. Um, so he, he learns that he, yeah, I need to learn to be able to turn my head so I can see when things are coming at me, you know, because turning my whole body, it's a little exhausting. And that's and that suit doesn't breathe, and you know, Bruce sometimes gets very, very dehydrated. <laughs> well, well, Jake, you get at one of the reasons that I thought it was especially interesting to have you from Dark Knight Minute as a guest here on Flash Gordon Minute, because there's such a difference in directorial style between our two movies, right? You really see that Nolan was going for something grounded in reality. Like I always think of the scenes where Bruce is requisitioning all the different components for his suit and for his weaponry and fashioning the batterings with machines to sharpen them. So everything was tactile, whereas Flash Gordon, it's very improvised and it completely leans in the other direction with creativity and wild imagination. So we kind of go into detail because it's, it's we they wanted things to be utilitarian. We want things that would actually function. That's why there's not a lot of mysticism, magic in at least in the Nolan universe. It was more like, you know, Batman could exist. You know, if he was trained right. You know, there's the technologies out there where you kind of jump into like this. You know, both based off comic books. You know, to a certain degree, this goes more campy, more lighthearted. You know, and then you got to look at the times that the two films were made. You know. You know, Batman Begins came out in 2005, whereas Flash Gordon came back all the way out in 1980. I wasn't even a thought in my parents' brain right at that time. So we see that, like, the two different styles, you know, you also look like, at the two different time frames. But, you know, that's what makes this movie so great. Because a lot of the movies from the 80s and, like, early 90s that didn't do well now have these great cult followings. And it's something that still lives on. I'm pretty sure we'll still be talking Flash Gordon, you know, 10, 20 years from now. Um, Batman Begins was so great, but had such a good following. But I feel like it'll kind of be redone so many times that they might forget about the Nolan universe that I'm, you know, that I love. But Flash Gordon will 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 stand the test of time because there's only been one and if they ever remake it it will never live up to the grand splendor amazingness that it is well and what's interesting is <laughs> and it shows you how these characters you can do so much with them and in so many different ways uh, what's crazy is the screenplay for flash gordon was written by lorenzo semple jr who wrote batman he wrote for the 60s tv show 
And also, uh, he wrote the um, the Adam West Batman movie. Am I remembering that right, Eric? Uh, and uh, Jake, have you ever had uh, been, been lucky enough to see that film? Um, I haven't seen the '66 movie, but I've seen the '66 show um, quite a lot because you know, back in my childhood when I stayed up past my bedtime and I was watching Nickelodeon, and then Nick Nickelodeon became Nick at Night. You get a lot of those older shows, and then I would watch it whenever whenever I could find it because I'm like, what is this older Batman? And then that's kind of where I found because I, I had grown up on Batman the animated series, and so like I always had a love of Batman. And I looked at that and I'm like, man, this is just so cheesy and campy, but I love it. And you know, it, it just it holds. So I, you can kind of see the parallels of you know I would say the similar style between the '66 Batman and this movie, like in terms of like palette eccentricity you know color schemes it's it's very much the same because you kind of get that similar feeling i would say from both movies because in in the 66 show there are a few odd lines kind of like this whole dream sequence (laughs) this whole flash gordon inception moment we're inside a dream inside another dream (laughs) and there's guys with wings flying around flash gordon inception i like that and going back to the the dream sequence and I, all of that. I had a note about the camera work there. I was wondering how how this hit you. So they made a choice here to have Dale. She's circling Flash, and as Brad said, playing with this chest hair counterclockwise, and then they're doing a circling dolly shot clockwise so you get that counterpoint and while all that's happening they're playing the great queen score and one of the tracks that's a particular favorite of mine the into the space capsule the love theme so it's got that dream equality and then he's talking his bs about oh this isn't really happening it's a dream and so i thought i i agree with brad's note and the parallels to the superman movie and the cheesy scene there but on some level the little romance aspect of it was working for me well eventually you kind of feel like they do love each other because they didn't kind of get to that point and flash gets to that great so part you know you know next time i'll walk over and talk to you and then she says promise and then cross my heart and hope to dot 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 right because <laughs> you know He's about to die. Spoilers. Or is he? (laughs) (gasps) And then you tune in for the later minutes to find out. Same flash time, same flash time. Can we talk about the cutaways while they're having this scene to the other prisoners? Oh, please. Please do. Especially dirty guy behind bars because... He's a creeper. He's got a face of... He feels such sad pity for Flash and Dale. And it's just like, dude, you're dirty and you're in jail and you just look horrible and you are feeling sad pity for these other two people i it's it it's hilarious to me because you cut to the two kind of um now i'm not sure the name of the of the snake people lizard uh, lizard men oh the lizard men and they're like they're like sitting there standing and then they look and it's like they're nodding and the guy the dirty guy it's not so much sadness <laughs> it's more like come here girl i'll show you a dream Ew. <laughs> Boo. 
because he's kind of creeping on her because it looks like he's just like, come here, let me grab that crown off your head and, you know, give it to the guards so that they let me out of here or something. I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll put me on the execution block if I touch, you know, his concubine. But let's not breeze past the lizard men here. Because this is one of the shots in the movie where you get a really close face-up. That's not the right term. A close face-up? Close-up. Close up. Huh? Face-up. I got you, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm picturing the lizard men in my mind, and it's making me lose my words. Because what what is up with their anatomy? Look at that freeze frame. So there's a face inside the mouth the eyeballs and nose inside another mouth with big eyes and and that has a mouth but then hanging over th- there's fangs it's li- it's more like a lizard ate a person than a humanoid lizard it's like they're just chi- chilling inside the you know looking out and they're just kind of slowly dying and that's the blood on their face because that makes sense. Because like, if it closes its mouth, where do those teeth go? Right. It's, and the thing that really puzzles me, I, I know it's just a bad costume, but I just wonder at the choice to lean into this bad costume so much. Because overall, the costumes in this movie are amazing. The Hawkmen look great, and, and everything is these fantastic colors. But then they really overreached with with this creature design it it always looks really rubbery and really goofy and but somehow they thought it was working and somehow they thought they should do a close face up of it so that you really could see in detail like yes yes there's a human face inside the mouth now question i was just gonna say do they look like they've got colds right now it's like they, they've got stuffed up noses right now it's just like uh Especially the one on the right. You look at it, it looks like they're you know they're a little bit sick right now. A little bit. It's definitely off-putting. And, you know, Jarv, you're right where this could have worked fine if they just didn't do a close-up. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Not a face-off. Face-up. Different movie. <laughs> different, different actors, you know. There's a little Nicholas Cage. John Travolta. I don't know. But yeah, it, it it's the close-up that really draws the attention. Because like you said, the, the other costumes are great. But these ones just look silly. Because like, so if they close their mouths, can they not see? Are they part bat where they use echolocation? These are such good questions. I, I don't know. Uh, and You know what? I bet somewhere there's a book that has those answers. But I just, uh, I, I don't think we found that book yet. Now, when they close the, the, their mouths, do the teeth go in the mouth, the, the second mouth? Yes, I'm going to say they do. They can't. They they stab themselves in the in the whatever I don't know they they'd stab themselves some somewhere they can't right right in the uvula the only other thing that I could suppose is that they're not meant to be humanoid lizards at all they they're just humanoids who it's their cultural practice to wear a lizard costume right so it's not meant to be part lizard part man it, it, it's just it's just people who like to dress as lizards <laughs> like furries but but scalies <laughs> scalies that's a little <laughs> awkward well i feel like it's kind of like you know you kind of get to the point where like they're either wearing costumes or they've been like humans crossbred with lizards you know 
it's just it's, it seems a little odd. Maybe these are now. Have you ever seen um, you know Parks and Rec? <laughs> yes. So maybe these are maybe these are the children of Zorp the Surveyor. The uh, reasonableists. Yes, the reasonableists. You know the 1970s cult found in Pawnee, where they think that the Lord's gonna that the Lord Zorp is gonna show up and swallow the earth. And because like if you look at the picture of Zorp and the picture of these you know lizard people. It's very similar, but except for the eyes are on the outside, not in the mouth. Lizard. Yep, yep, I see it. You got it. That the, the Zorp is, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if the idea from Zorp came from this uh, from this movie. It, it feels like uh, the people involved with the creative process of Parks and Rec, as eh, Flash Gordon might be in their uh, in their wheelhouse. I was like saying, I, I've got it now. Zorp is a cross between Ming and the Lizard People. Mm. Yeah, and you know what? Ming 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 would not have a problem betting a lizard person. Well, yeah, that I mean that is one of the very messed up things about this movie, just how casually they throw out, "Oh, yes, Dale is going to become Ming's sex slave." And, and so obviously there are very, there are lots of problematic things about this movie and and I think it's always good to call them out, but we're still here as fans. Yeah, oh, yeah, we uh it, and Fortunately, it is the bad guy who does the bad stuff. So, and he, he does get his spoiler alert. He does get his comeuppance. So, you know, but it, it's better than one of these movies where there was movies. Ah, gosh, the Bond films where James Bond's a little rapey, and uh, he's you're supposed to be rooting for him. It's like you know, Flash. He seems a gentleman. So. You know, there definitely are problematic things with the movie, but at least it's problematic stuff being done by problematic people. So, all right. Yeah, it goes back to Eric's point. No one but the pure of heart. And Flash definitely is pure of heart. All right, guys. So this has been an amazing minute. Um, but And we're, we're, uh, we're going to – is everyone coming back tomorrow? I got I got to check the gas in the rocket cycle. <laughs> and Jarf, are you going to be uh, doing uh, joining us again, or you know, I am actually booked tomorrow. I'm afraid. No worries, no worries. It's been awesome having you with us, and uh, you, 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 this has just been a special taste uh, that our listeners get of you. You're going to be coming back uh, in the coming weeks. Yes, yes, I'm coming back for a nice, proper, full week, and that's a little bit later in the movie but I just couldn't resist the urge to jump in tonight. All right. Um, before we let everyone go, Jarf, um, you've already said how you uh, do this wonderful work with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Uh, where can people uh, find out more about that and uh, also donate? Yes, thanks. So they can find out more about the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation at cff.org. And our signature events that I work on which is the reason that I'm booked tomorrow is great strides. And you can find out about that on our website as well. All right. Excellent. We recommend everyone check that out. And uh, Jake, where can people find out more about the dark Knight minute? Oh, you can find us on most podcatchers. You can find us on Twitter at dark Knight min. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at our league of listeners. Um, Cause we're not hiding in the shadows in that one, but, um, and then you can also find us on our website geekmindfusion.com 
And um, I'm just going to throw this out there. Jarf is actually Flash Gordon. We knew it. All right. And finally, Eric, where can people find out more about our own show, Flash Gordon Minute? You can chat with us on Facebook, Flash Gordon Minute Listeners Vortex. Go to Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod, and talk with Jarf there. Or send us a old-fashioned email, flashgordonminute at gmail.com. Yeah, we recommend everyone does so. Also, rate and review us on iTunes. Um, the, the more ratings and reviews we get, the more uh, visibility we get. And uh, you know, we, uh, we, we have a great time doing this, and people seem to have a great time listening, and we want to uh, expand that family. And, uh, you know, this has been a really great minute. Guys, thank you so much for doing this. But, uh, you know, it's all – it's not, not all rainbows and sunshine. I uh, – Eric, I got a I, I got a problem that's creeping up on me. So uh, as has been discussed before, uh, by the time this episode comes out, uh, I will have moved to a new house. And my kids are uh, determined that with a new, ha- with a new house – we should get a new kitten. They, they want a kitten to uh, accompany our, uh, our, our our existing cat, Rocky. And uh, I just keep saying, it's like, no, no, we're not going to get a new cat. And I want to put my foot down, but I'm afraid when I do that, I'll accidentally, accidentally step on the tail of the new cat. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That, that's not good. My, my oldest son actually accidentally stepped on our cat just yesterday. And then and that, 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 that squeal. So, you know, if you're concerned about getting a foot full of fur, don't worry. Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute.